Uh, we're grateful for uh, Scott uh, leading us in worship this morning, right? Thank you so much. And I didn't grow up in the same part of the country, but um, <laughs> I like it, right? <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much. Now let's turn to the passage that we read in our Bibles just a few minutes ago. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. Just a little bit, we will enter into our time of communion. Let's prepare our hearts now for communion by opening our hearts to the word of the Lord that he has for us. And right now, this we're going to have one more Christmas carol. And I want you to relax because I'm not going to sing it, all right? <laughs> but... You're going to listen to another preacher of mature years as he sings a Christmas carol, and his name is Simeon. Luke chapter 2, if you're using a Bible provided for you, page 857, we have an elderly man, preacher of the gospel, the first to share in the temple the good news of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he held his arms, the baby Jesus, he broke out in song. And that song is recorded for us. Now it's very interesting that as we're making this journey, just getting started through the Gospel of Luke. And if you are our guest uh, today, let you know that a few weeks ago we've started a series of messages. are going to take us through this entire Gospel. And it fit very perfectly for us here at Advent season. To begin, and we've found out about Luke that Luke is a medical doctor. He is the beloved physician, as Paul referred to him. He's also a historian of the first rank, having carefully analyzed and interviewed and wrote the account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And he also wrote the book of Acts, which is the early days of the life and ministry of the apostles, how God used them. So Luke was a physician, he was a historian, but also he was a song publisher. <laughs> he was a publisher of songs and he chose five songs that were sung to begin this gospel that bears his name. Now we've looked at four of these songs so far in the Advent season. The first song is the song of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. You see that in chapter 1, verses 41 to 45. The second song is the song of Mary, Mary's Magnificat, as it is called, the mother of our Lord, and she sings a song of joy to the Lord. That's recorded in chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Then we have the song of Zacharias. Zacharias is the father of John the Baptist. He was a man who did not at first believe, and he could not speak because of the angel Gabriel placing upon him that judgment from the Lord for his unbelief. He could not speak for nine months, but when he finally regained his voice, he broke out in song. And that's recorded for us in chapter 1, verses 68 to 79. And then we have a very short song. It's one that we know so well. 
chapter 2, verse 14, we have the song of the angels as they sang over the fields outside of Bethlehem the night of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. What beautiful songs. But we have one more. And this song is the song of Simeon. It's the song of Simeon. We could also say that he's joined on the chorus by a lady by the name of Anna, so it becomes a duet, you could say. But it's the song of Simeon, and what a scene, what a song it is. So what I'd like us to do in these few minutes is I'd like us to, first of all, just review how this song came into existence, note some things about the song, and then I'd like to make some application, if I might, from this song about the theme of this Advent season that we have focused on, and that is the light has come. The light has come. Now notice some things about this song. We see here that the baby Jesus is seven weeks of age. Seven weeks of age. His parents are godly parents. They have brought him when he was eight days old, according to the law, to be circumcised as a son of the covenant. We read that in verse 21. And now 40 days later, according to the law of Moses, since he is the firstborn son, they bring him to present him to the Lord. Because the Lord has said that the firstborn shall be holy unto him. Going back to the very time that the children of Israel were delivered after the final plague on the people of Egypt, the death of the firstborn son. The Lord said, the firstborn will be holy unto me. And so they bring their firstborn to present him before the Lord. They bring an offering. And from this offering, you'll notice in verse 24, we know that they are very poor. Jesus was born to a very poor family because the offering that they gave was the offering for the poorest of families who could not afford an animal. They would give this gift. Verse 24 tells us they brought the pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so Jesus was born to a very, very poor family. Imagine the scene now as they come in. They enter the huge, beautiful courtyard of the temple of Herod, which is still under construction. But they come to present Jesus. Mary's carrying the baby in her arms. No doubt Joseph is carrying the birds who are going to be offered as, as a sacrifice of dedication to the Lord. And as they come into the temple courtyards, an elderly man fastens his eyes upon them. His name is Simeon. He has been told by the Lord that he will not pass away until he sees the Lord's Christ, until he has seen the Messiah. And so you can imagine, we don't know how long that lasted, how his eyes were focused on every young couple bringing a child to the temple. But he is led by the Holy Spirit at this very hour, just as Mary and Joseph 
and the baby are coming into the temple. He comes over to this young couple, approaches them, and the Bible says he takes the baby Jesus from the arms of his mother, holds the little one in his arms, and begins to sing praises to God in the temple as he holds the baby Jesus in his arms. And this song, the song of Simeon, has been known from ancient times by the Latin title, Nunc Dimittis. Nunc Dimittis. And it's taken from the words of Simeon. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now I can truly depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. Now notice, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Verse 30. What does the name of Jesus mean? Why was he called Jesus? Why was that name chosen? Because Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. And so as Simeon holds him in his arm, he says, now you are letting me depart in peace according to your word. I have seen, I'm looking into the face of your salvation. What a moment this is. Here's this elderly man holding in his arms, in the temple, the incarnate God of the temple. And calling him the salvation of the Lord. What a moment it is. And it's a moment that goes out to all the earth. He says he is the hope of all the peoples. Do you see that? Verses 31 and 32. He says he is the hope of all the peoples. He's been prepared in the presence of all the people. He says he is a light to the nations. In the Old Testament prophets, time and time again, Messiah is referred to as a light for the nations. That to God's light, all the nations will come. All the nations of the earth will be blessed by the light of the Messiah. But he's also the glory of Israel. He's a light to the nations Verse 32, Simeon is singing, He is the glory of your people, Israel. The glory. He is the ultimate, ultimate glory of God's covenant people, Israel. It's a song of praise. But notice also it's a song, look at verses 34 and 35, it's a song of prophecy. It's a song of prophecy. Because Simeon begins to speak to Mary and Joseph, but in particular, he addresses his comments to Mary. He says that this child has been appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. This means that this child will be one who causes many to rise up in salvation. They'll be lifted up out of darkness into light. 
The word rising here is the same word for resurrection. Isn't that interesting? This child is for the resurrection of many people. And that resurrection will come through his own death and resurrection, right? And he will also be rejected by many. He will be for the rising and the falling of many. Many will reject him. He is the stone which the builders will reject. He's the chief cornerstone of God's plan of redemption, but he's also going to be a stone of offense to those who will not receive him. They will stumble over him in unbelief and rejection. Those who stumble over Jesus, those who reject Jesus, they fall into condemnation and hell. But my friend, those who fall upon Jesus rise up to stand in the presence of God. Rise up to heaven. That's what Simeon is prophesying here. But he says it's going to come at a great cost. He speaks to Mary, another prophetic word. And notice he says in verse 35, a sword will pierce through your own soul. He's speaking a word, a prophetic word of what will be required for Jesus to be Savior. He must be a sacrifice. And his blessed mother Mary will stand at the foot of his cross. She will see him delivered over, executed, and will see the Roman spear stabbed into his side. And her own heart will be pierced with pain. But through it will come the salvation to the ends of the earth. Now just at this moment, he's just made a word, a prophetic word about Calvary. And just at this moment, as he is prophesying, a prophetess arrives by the name of Anna. She is a very elderly lady. Notice it says here in verse 36 that she is the daughter of Phanuel. She's of the tribe of Asher, advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. Now this can be translated two different ways. It can mean that either she was 84 years of age, or it can mean, and many Bible teachers believe, it means that she lived since the death of her husband 84 years. So this lady may very well have been over 100 years of age. And she's given her entire life to the worship and praise of Jehovah. She has the gift of prophesying, that is speaking forth the word of God. No doubt well known in Jerusalem. And she, she arrives at that very moment. And she joins in with the song of Simeon, and she begins to praise God, give thanks to God. And then she leaves to speak to everyone the good news. She joins with the shepherds who are outside of Jerusalem. They're around Bethlehem. Now she's in Jerusalem herself as a missionary, making known the good news of the birth of the Messiah, the Son of God. And she gave this news to all who were 
waiting. Notice verse 38. All who were waiting for the redemption. That is, there was a longing, a waiting for the Messiah to come. We get the phrase waiting. Our idea of Advent comes from that. That's what Advent means. They were waiting the arrival. They were waiting for the coming, the advent of the Son of God, the Messiah. And we celebrate Advent in this season. But as we celebrate the first Advent, brothers and sisters, we're also anxiously anticipating the second Advent, right? When Jesus Christ will come again. The promise has been fulfilled. The light has come. The light has come. And my friends, Jesus is that light. Jesus is the light of the world. And through these songs, these songs of Christmas that are recorded in Luke, often the reference is made to the Messiah being light. The light has come. What I'd like to do now, just for a few minutes... Before we come to communion, I want you to think with me about that truth. That Jesus is the light. Jesus is the one and only light. Now notice some things about Jesus that are completely in agreement with what we think of as light. First of all, Jesus is the light of illumination. He's the light of illumination. Light is one of the most common elements of the universe, but it's also one of the deepest mysteries of the universe. And that's perhaps the reason that God uses light as an expression, a symbol of himself. Light is unmistakable. You know light when you see it, right? Light is unmistakable, but it's undefinable. What is light? Who can really define it? And light is a symbol of God. God is light, the Bible says, and in him is no darkness at all. Now notice, Jesus is called by Simeon a light of revelation to the Gentiles. A light of revelation is Jesus who brings illumination. Friends, the only light for the darkness of this world is the light of the world, Jesus Christ. He is the light. I think of the qualities of light. Light dispels darkness. Light dispels darkness. The Bible says at the dawn of time, this was the condition. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Darkness. And for eons of time, eons of time, there was just God himself, and surrounding his glory, darkness. But then, in that darkness, God said, let there be Light, And the light emanated from himself and brought light into the darkness. 
God spoke a word and light entered into creation, as we would call it. God gave physical light by speaking the word, and friends, God gives spiritual light by sending the word. The word of God, his son, who is the word made flesh, right? Isaiah, the prophet, said this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great what? Light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has dawned. God has sent Jesus to dispel darkness. Light has come in Jesus Christ. Here's another quality of light. Light divides the darkness. Light not only dispels darkness, it divides the darkness. Once again, in the account of the creation, the Bible says, And God saw the light, that it was good. And God delight, divided the light from the darkness. The light he called day, and the darkness he called night. You see, light divides the physical world, daytime and nighttime. Light divides the animal world. We understand this. There, there are animals who are animals of the day and there are animals who are animals of the night. Light divides also the spiritual world. There's light and there's darkness. And Jesus is that great divide of the spiritual world. Think about it. Jesus divides time. How do we mark time in our day and age? We mark it by what? B.C. and A.D. Jesus, as the light of God, divides time itself. Jesus divides lives. Think about it. What did Jesus say? Jesus said on one day, Do not think that I've come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus said his coming to this earth the first time has not brought peace on all the earth. Thank God when he's coming the second time, peace will cover this world. Amen? But when he came the first time, he says, I did not come to bring peace on all the earth. He said, I came to bring a sword. He said, I will divide people. He said, literally, I will divide families, brother from brother, father from son, daughter from mother. I will divide communities. I will divide countries. And this is absolutely the truth. Isn't it interesting that Simeon said there would be a sword? There would be a sword. Jesus is the great divide. He divides the light from the darkness. He divides people. He divides destinies. Eternity, not just time, friend, listen carefully. Eternity itself is divided by Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an illustration. My brother lives over 
in South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. I've made the trip myself and with my family dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the years to visit my brother. And you know, it's interesting, near Asheville, North Carolina, you will see a sign, just a small sign, but you know what it says? Eastern Continental Divide. Have you ever seen that sign? Eastern Continental Divide. What does that mean? It means that you're, you're there on the ridge of the Appalachian Mountains. And water that comes from the sky in rain that falls on one side of that continental divide goes to the Atlantic Ocean. But from the same storm, water that comes and falls on the other side of that line makes its way eventually all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. It is the continental divide. Same storm, rain falling from the same storm perhaps, some to the Atlantic, some to the Gulf of Mexico. My friend, it is the same with Jesus. You are on one side of Jesus for all eternity. If you are on His side by faith and trust in Him as your Savior, then for all eternity you will never know another nighttime, because there is no night in heaven, because the Lord is the light of it forever and ever. But on the other side of Jesus, to those who reject Him and do not know Him, there is no light whatsoever but utter darkness forever and ever away from the presence of the light of Christ and His salvation and in judgment and sorrow in a place called hell. Friend, Jesus is the great divide. He divides destinies. Every person right now, in this moment in time, in this building right now, you are on one side of Jesus or the other. You do not straddle the Lord Jesus. To be undecided about Him is to have already decided Him. He is the Lord. You don't decide to make Him the Lord. He is the Lord. And either He is Lord, and because He's Lord by faith, you have in Him He's your Savior, or He is not your Lord and not your Savior. Friend, everyone here is on one side of Jesus this morning. Which side are you on? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, to your heart, and confirm it in His Word. Which side of Jesus are you on? Because your destiny is already determined in this moment. But thank God, while there's still time... <laughs> You can come from one side of Jesus to the other side. Amen. Out of the darkness, into the light, because his arms are open to all who will come. He's the light of illumination and he's the light of salvation. What did the old Simeon, what did he say? Lord, now you can let your servant or your servant is departing. You are allowing your servant to depart in peace. Why can Simeon depart in peace? Because his eyes have seen the Lord's Christ. My eyes have seen your salvation. Don't miss that. Jesus is salvation. Simeon looked at his face and what did he say? My eyes have seen your salvation. This child is 
your salvation. What do we learn from this, friends? Listen carefully. Here's what we learn. Salvation is a person. Salvation is a person. There is only one place that salvation is found. And that salvation is found in a person who is Jesus Christ. You find salvation in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. It is God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. And he has shined in our hearts to bring the knowledge of the light of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Do you want light? Do you want to know the glory of God? Do you want to know what God is like and what he expects of you? Then, my friend, look to Jesus. He is salvation. Salvation is a person. But guess what we also find here? The salvation is in that person only. Salvation is not found in a church. This church cannot offer you salvation. We cannot give you salvation. No church in this community, no church in the world can give you salvation because salvation is not in a church. Salvation is in the Lord of the church. We can be a faithful church and point you to salvation, but we as a church cannot give you salvation. Our brother that was baptized this morning, make sure you understand this. He was not baptized in order to get saved. He was baptized because he has been saved. This was a picture that in his heart he has received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. The one who died for him was buried and rose again. That's the reason he was baptized. To identify with the Savior. A church cannot give you salvation. Religion can't give you salvation. My friend, religion itself cannot give you salvation. A creed cannot give you salvation. You can believe the things in this Bible. You can believe all the creeds of the church and not know the Lord of the church. Because if the creeds are true creeds and true doctrines, you know where those doctrines point you? They point you to Jesus Christ. They point you to Jesus. They are expressions of the truth about Jesus. That's what a creed is. But only Jesus can save you. Not a church, not a religion, not a creed, but Jesus. Salvation is a person. Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. But let me make one other comment, if I might. Salvation is not just a person. Listen carefully. Salvation is personal. Salvation is personal. Do you remember what the angel sang that night? <laughs> the fourth song. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now listen carefully what the angels sang. They did not sing a Savior is born. That's not specifically what they were saying. Good news, a Savior is born. What made it good news to the shepherds? Unto you is born this day in the city of David. A Savior is Christ the Lord. It's not good news to know that there is a Savior. That's not the ultimate good news. The ultimate good news is to know He is my Savior. 
that He came for me. And you see, that's the good news. Jesus Christ came to this world for you and for me. He came to save sinners from their sin. And this is the reason it's good news. Not just that there is a Savior, but He is my Savior. Friend, listen. That's the difference between religion and salvation. They're not the same. Religion says there is a Savior. That's what religion says. But salvation says Jesus is my Savior. That's salvation. That's salvation. Can you say that today? Can you say today that by the grace of God alone and not by anything you've done, not by any merit, and in spite of your sins, you know that Jesus is your Savior. Do you know that today? Friends, you can know that. That's the good news. Jesus came to be a Savior of sinners. And when you know and own yourself to be a sinner, you're not far from the kingdom of God. That is the revelation of the Spirit of God Himself that you might come to Christ. Jesus is the light of illumination. He's the light of salvation. And notice Jesus is the light of glorification. Verse 32, He is a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. He's the glory of your people Israel. Notice, Jesus is God's glory. Twice that word glory is used. Pardon me. Jesus is the glory of Israel. You know what the word glory is in the Old Testament? The word glory in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word, Shekinah. And it referred to the glory of God in the cloud that led the people of Israel out of bondage through the Red Sea, led them as a pillar by the daytime and a pillar of light by night. It was the glory cloud that came over the tabernacle. It was the glory cloud that came over the temple when Israel dedicated the temple under Solomon. That glory was God himself. And now notice, Simeon says, this child is the glory of Israel. Ezekiel the prophet had an amazing vision one day. In a vision, he saw because of the sin of Israel and Judah, he saw in a vision the glory cloud parting from over the temple and going up the Mount of Olives and leaving Jerusalem. The glory was departing. But guess what? The Bible tells us that that glory that left from the Mount of Olives is the very place where Jesus returned to heaven. From where? The Mount of Olives. He went back to the glory of His Father. He Himself being the glory. But the Bible says one day the glory of God is coming again. The Lord Jesus Christ. And where is he coming? He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. 
And he's going to come down the Mount of Olives, not riding a little donkey this time, but riding that charger, the great white horse. And his name is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the Bible says, the Bible says that the gates... The gates of Jerusalem will break open to him. That eastern gate will open. Just as David sang, lift up your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the Lord of glory will enter. Jesus Christ is coming again, my friend. He's the glory of Israel. He's coming again. And he's the glory of the church. We have no glory. Look at us. <laughs> We're not the dream team. We're not even the bad news bears. We're not much. All we have is Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are jars of clay. You know what that means? Baked dirt. And we are cracked pots. That's what we are. And the best thing we can do is just leak Jesus everywhere. That's all we can do. That's who we are. The glory is not us. The glory is the one in us. The glory is the Lord. And my friend Jesus is the glory of heaven. The Bible says there's no sun in heaven. No S-U-N. You know why? Because it's lighted by S-O-N. Sunlight. That's the title of a great book that's available for you as well. <laughs> sunlight. Sunlight. The Bible says the city has no need of the sun because the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who is the lion. Isn't that something? The Lamb is the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the light of glory. And friends, that is the glory that we will stand in one day if we are on the right side of Jesus. We will stand. Jesus came for the rising up of many. He came that you wouldn't have to fall into hell and darkness. He came so that you could rise up and stand with him forever in the glory of God. Oh, friend, what a joy to be a part of the family of God. And that's what heaven is. Heaven is the Son of God. Friend, it wouldn't be heaven if Jesus was not there. Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. And I want you to know, he is what makes heaven to the people that are there today. The elderly who've gone from us this week, like our dear brother Larry Smith, and the young ones who've gone from us this week, like Sawyer Black, they stand now ageless in the presence of their Savior Jesus Christ. The bride eyes not her garments. But her dear bridegroom's face. I shall not gaze on glory. 
but on the king of grace. Not on the crown he gives, but on his pierced hand. For the lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Jesus is the light. Let's bow our heads. Oh, friend, as we now receive this communion, I pray and I beg of you right now, if you are in darkness, come to the light. Come to the light of Jesus Christ. Call out to him out of your darkness. He is the light. He is the light. Come by faith to Jesus right now. And then truly you can take this communion because it will be a testimony that Jesus is the joy of your salvation. He's the wine to your soul. And he is the bread of eternal life. We're about to receive this bread now. And this bread reminds us of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ broken for us.